DMs, have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Asimar, tired of being a race whose name starts with the syllable ass? Then this is the podcast for you where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the role of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dun-dun! Episode 11! Welcome back, everyone. We're Um, here. We're here. Get used to it. That's right. I just said we're here twice. We're here. We're here. <laughs> here Joseph, we. Here we. Joseph, did you we? did you enjoy last week's spring <laughs> of deception? What? Wait, wait. <laughs> what is this accent you're doing? Uh, this is a French accent. What are you talking about? By it was more likely. Like uh, well, there. it was uh, what you call a television parody of a French accent. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Can you do a Quebecois accent? Yes. Hello, I am a douche. I believe that uh, <laughs> we should that be our that? own country. <laughs> Is that how they talk? Hello. Hello. Hello, I'm a douche. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, do you remember Mrs. Swan from, from Mad TV? Just like assume I don't know. Oh. I lived a sheltered, it's, it's sad a- little life. It's Alex Bornstein doing sort of an offensive Asian character. And she would go, hey, look like a man. And and yeah, it was really bad. Oh, and uh, But it was also hilarious. And it, it, that sort of sounded a little bit like her. Um, wait, okay. What was the summer? Spring of Deception? That sounds Spring like of a Deception. Romance. That sounds like a Danielle Steele novel. <laughs> Spring of Deception. Spring of Deception. I don't You've know who's deceiving you, who. You haven't you haven't seen all the like ray gun shirts plot? or whatever. Oh no! Is, is that why is it a spring of deception? It's like it it's like the fake spring, spring we get in between the winters, mm. right? Because it's gonna like snow this weekend or whatever, and we had I'm lovely more, like seventy degree weather right. minus the tornado warning we had yesterday. Oh my god! <laughs> to, to be fair, tornado watch, nothing tornado touched watch. down. There were no funnel clouds. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but I'm more interested in the Danielle Still novel I just invented. Um, the spring of deception. The spring of deception. It's something like, um, of course, the the it's of course a heteronormative love. Oh, story. I know what it is. What is it? Tell me. Okay, it's uh, Amish people spring break rum springer, and they <laughs> don't tell their new lover that they have to go back in two weeks. That's the <gasps> deception part. You just merged. I. Yeah, perfect genres. <laughs> I see nothing wrong with this. Wait, so we'll call it wh- the Rumspringa of deception. <laughs> I feel like this, but but this man needs now. He needs a good Amish name, like Jedediah or something. Oh, see, I was gonna make the girl Amish. Oh no, but I wanted the man to be deceptive okay. because yeah, because men are. I've terrible. got it. I'm, yeah, he will call him Jebediah, but he'll tell people mm-hmm. his name is like Jeb, Jeb, or Yo. JJ. J J J J J J, and the woman's name is Anastasia. Oh, okay. <laughs> is she like Russian? 
<laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> because we need someone that's not familiar with Rumspringer. <laughs> so okay, that so a Russian she, woman she'll be she'll be a Russian woman States. also visiting here in America. <laughs> and, and where then, are they visiting? And what? When where are they visiting? Where, where They're obviously place? going to be in like Pittsburgh Missouri or Kansas. Okay. Missouri? Are there Amish people in the Midwest? There's Amish people in Iowa. There are? Yes. I thought they were, they had a different designation. I thought they were like Mennonite or, because isn't Amish, I don't, listen, I'm sorry. I, that, this wherever is you are, to, Amish people. They're East not Coast, listening maybe? to this. Yeah, I know, yeah, right? I, thought they were <laughs> well, I ain't like, worried about offended no Amish people. <laughs> I thought I mean like I'm I don't want to offend them, but at the same time they don't they're not gonna listen to this. They're not. They're um not. uh I feel like Amish was a thing back home on the East Coast and like out here it's more like Mennonite. So and, like Pennsylvania. I, I feel like yeah. Amish could be in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they're in Pennsylvania. There's a they're Russian in, woman that flies yeah. out here to visit her sister. You did Maria. arm motion, so I kind of assumed uh, yeah. you meant like she literally flew. So she's a witch. She's a Russian witch. She's, she's a- Andy. She's my friend Andy. You've met Andy. He's so a Andy, Russian witch? That If you could describe him in two words, Russian and witch would be the two things you'd want to. Excellent. Just, it's a long story. So, so anyway. okay. A Russian witch named Anastasia. Yes. Flies, flies out here. Ooh, that's a double a deception. Like, she doesn't tell him <gasps> that she's, she's a, witch, a witch. And he doesn't tell her that he's Amish. Oh, my God. I, I need to write this fan fiction. I mean, you, Daniel Steele novel. <laughs> you need to write. I mean, this is a great novel. Listen, you've the things I've seen. I on, would read the crap out of that. On Amazon. You could you could e-publish. You could publish yeah. yourself and, super cheap. And this amazing novel, which I would definitely read mm-hmm. at least one page of, would be it would make millions of pennies. Yes. <laughs> Which is still good pennies. money. I'll take it, man. Yeah. I mean, millions of pennies is still thousands of dollars. Exactly. So go for it. Um, okay. Summer so, of de- Spring um, of Deception. If I we get it. to 300 followers, I will write a chapter <laughs> of Rum Spring of Deception. <laughs> I am holding. This is a contract. I am holding you to that. Bring it on. I will I happily will s- write the like weirdest first chapter of this I'm, pretend romance novel ever. I am so... I am so here for it. You have no yes. idea. Once again, if you guys can't tell, we didn't script our our opening. Definitely so not. You're welcome for this. Um, also, Danielle Steele, call us if you want this idea because we'll sell it to you. Yep. Um, or Stacey I'm, Abrams. Stacey Abrams also writes romance novels. I'm literally building a plot in my head so. right now. So you guys handle the episode while I, I am outline. Thrilled. I am so. <laughs> So legitimately excited, <laughs> you don't even know. I like um, how we went from spring of deception to where we are now. Like novel. this is you let and you let us here <laughs> hand in hand. Okay, so you had your part in this. I did with your French I, accent. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. That was like that was like Scottish. A little bit for me. Um, responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take responsibility for what happened. I'm trying that's to get Scottish better. the way that Willie from The Simpsons is Scottish. Okay? I know, but that's the easiest Scottish to do. <laughs> and let's let's face it. If there's one person who can't do us, I spent a month perfecting an Australian accent, and it's still not even good. Let's hear it. Well, Australian, hello. 
Here, can he help you? Be I like how you're like, this is my Australian accent. And you say the word <laughs> Australian. <laughs> like, Australian. When someone asks you to do an Australian accent, your first response is to say, Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a decent accent. It's, I don't have the O. Like, O. Right. Like, Australians have that O. Water. I don't really, yeah, I don't really have, like, raw and order. I don't really have that down too much, but... It's the kind of like laziness mm-hmm. of the. They're, I mean, they're not. Well, I won't go there. Ooh. I mean, whatever. It used to be a prison colony. Okay, sorry, don't, Australia. Don't alienate all of our Australian listeners. <sighs> if we had one, that would be great. Hey, so. Australia! If anyone in Australia is listening to this, <laughs> tweet us at Raw and Order D and D. Oh my God! Yeah, I'd be I mean, really we excited. have what? We we don't even have enough followers. Never mind, we do. To have one I, from every country? We do, though, because there's yeah. like 196 countries now, I think, depending on if you uh, consider certain things separate yeah. countries or not. I thought there were more than 200 recognized. You know... It's okay, uh, because we have more than 200 Twitter followers, so we're okay. Yeah. Okay, we went from like 200 to 234, 235 in like a week. A blink of an eye. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way, to Topher GM or at yes. monolith underscore WA because he was our lucky winner. Yeah. And he so was kind exciting. enough to post a picture or she. I'm not quite sure. I'm just assuming. He, I'm I, sorry. Well, yeah, they. We don't, we don't they. know their pronouns. But um, uh, but they. the winner was kind enough to post a picture of the deck of many things. We Obviously, we have our giveaway already ready for 300 followers. It's going to be chapter one of my novel. Mm-hmm. But I'm so excited. We're, we want to do something special for 500 followers. So yeah. if you have an idea of what you would like for us to do as a giveaway at 500 followers, tweet us at rawandorderdnd or email us at rawandorderdnd at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear your feedback. Uh mm. I'm excited for that. Maybe like a live show, like a Zoom live show or a uh, yeah, like a YouTube stream. Of yeah. Some or like a video, a video show or like on a Discord <laughs> thing. They do live. Oh, sure. Things, right. I don't know. I don't know. Is yeah. Twitch a thing? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Twitch is. is a thing. I feel like Zoom might be the easiest. Yeah. Um. We'll, we'll listen. We'll figure it out in between writing chapters to our what will be successful, amazing novel about yes. love and deception in the spring. Um, uh, we will figure out a, a video venue to yep. host an online a video show. Live. That sounds amazing. I would love to do that. I would love to meet our yeah. fans, frankly. That would all, be so all much six fun. of them. That'd be great. Yeah, because you could you could host like we could do. I've seen it before, so you could like host a Zoom meeting, bring everyone in, and have everyone. You know, you can display your videos or not, right. and then we could just mute everyone, and then we could take questions from live from our audience. <gasps> so much I'm getting excited, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then when people ask us questions, we can answer it live, and it'll be so much fun. Oh you my guys gosh. can introduce yourselves, and this would be that great. would be amazing. So how about let's, we'll do that for like let's 500. let's keep our fingers crossed that we can get there by maybe our twentieth episode because then <gasps> we're on be track an extra for special it. episode twenty. <laughs> yeah, we're on track for it. I listen. I think we're gonna get there. 
I'm putting out good yeah. vibes. I'm only good vibes only. Mm. Power pose. <laughs> putting it out into the universe. <laughs> um should we should we get down to business maybe <laughs> this is not business i, I thought <laughs> you mean the business of writing our book yes uh, yeah i needed to do some rum shipping uh mm-hmm. research so yeah we're done with this podcast it's been fun for 11 episodes but now we are transitioning into an amish russian love story <laughs> podcast called spring of deception so we hope you stay with us everyone no more D. it's been great yeah or or oh my god a D&D setting. as a campaign <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and everyone has to play either like a russian witch or an or, amish yes liar i guess <laughs> uh f- farmer is that a no yeah artisan Wood Will worker. homebrew a class? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we're going to somewhere not nice. All right, I think we should. We have a wonderful guest today. Yes, we do. Everyone, we have the lovely Steve. Um, Steve is lovely. There you go. So you'll <laughs> learn more about him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I always say like, okay, let's talk about him, but I'm like, let's just wait until that portion until of he's here. Yeah. Thoughts. All right. All right, Anna. Okay, let's start the episode. This sounds great. Okay. Let us begin. Hey everyone, it's Justice Anna here. I am thrilled to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Game Masters Merchant. DMs, are you feeling strapped for ideas for your campaign? Are you looking for something to help bring the excitement of sessions gone by back to your table? If so, then you're really going to want to pick up The Deck of Many Things by Game Master's Merchant. The Deck of Many Things is beautifully crafted and an extraordinarily powerful set of cards set in the D&D universe that is sure to reinvigorate your players and take your campaign to the next level. The deck is printed on sturdy cardstock and features original artwork. The deck is available on Etsy, eBay, and will soon be available on Amazon. But wait, there's more! If you use the code RAW10 on Etsy, you can get 10% off your purchase. Did you hear me just now? 10%! Just use the code RAW10 on Etsy, and you get 10% off until March 1st. Get these cards, breathe life into stale campaigns, and enjoy! The Game Master's Merchant, GM Merchant, Oye, oye, oye. The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna and Visiting Justice Steve of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and get prepared to get stimulated, for the court is now sitting. That was really disturbing. <laughs> Yay! Glad we, glad You're we welcome. Got past that. welcome. Welcome, Steve! Yay! Hello. Hi, Steve. Um, Steve, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Steve. Steve Steve was just telling us that he's a longtime listener. He is. <laughs> he's listens to every episode. And he even tells his kids about it because I had the pleasure of... D- so, Steve, you are in my my Gaidra 1 campaign, which right. is the first campaign. Um uh, you play Torax, the barbarian that we talked about on this episode last week. That's right. Because and I, I he, did listen to that. I did catch that. 
See, we were welcome for the shout out. Like, free publicity. Like, oh my god, he name dropped me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um. Uh, and I had the pleasure of DMing not only for you, but I secretly conspired with your daughter uh, over a year ago uh, to to jump in on an episode. And she played an NPC. Um, uh, she came to watch and I had emailed her previously and was like, hey, do you want to join in? And she's like, OK. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought that she would be an excellent person to have on raw school so we should work on that oh. in the future because she's sort of getting into D plays currently in like one campaign right and it is spring break next week well starting tomorrow <gasps> oh. so see so plenty of time she'll have some time yeah um well steve welcome to the show um why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh tabletop gaming slash dnd so i've been a i guess a Ever since I was a kid, into video games, you know, ever since the Atari and the Nintendo ages, and I've always had uh, a fascination with fantasy games, you know, wizards, warriors, spells, that type of thing. And it kind of started with a really old RPG series called the Ultima series, and then hmm. from there kind of went on to the Final Fantasy series, and then um, where D&D comes in is the Baldur's Gate series, the original that came out on PC and was like five CDs, which was huge. It was a big deal at the time. Um, that's where I was kind of getting into For those of you that don't know what a CD is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a disc. It's round and it's shiny on one side. And uh, I think the rule set was like 2.5 or something. Mm -hmm. It had oh, wow. uh, Thacko to hit armor class. Mm -hmm. where, the lower, where the lower your armor class, the better, which uh, was real confusing which is probably why that system didn't last very long. Mm -hmm. um, so I really liked it then. And then I got into Neverwinter Nights, which was a kind of a follow-up from the same, same company. Um, and, uh, you know, I just kind of dabbled in it. Uh, I played like a game or two with some buddies in high school, um, but nothing long. No, they were all like one shots really. And um, I was a subscriber and still am a subscriber to Geek and Sundry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I liked Felicia Day and the Guild series. Uh, I just stumbled upon that one day. And then I saw, I think off to the side, videos for Critical Role. And I just decided to click on it. And this is, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so episodes in. And it just kind of pulled me in. I start, when they started talking about 5th edition, I was like, well, what is this 5th edition? Like, I want to read up, read up about this. And it was a lot easier to understand than I thought. And uh, I didn't know about any other previous editions Um and you know, the more I watch Critical Role, uh, admittedly, the Matt Mercer effect uh, <laughs> kind of brought me in. His beautiful flowing locks just mm -hmm. sort of enticed you. And you're like, all right, I have to watch now. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and, and back then when I was had more time, I was able to watch. Um, I caught up on episodes till it was live and I was even watching the live ones. And then I uh, kind of fell out of it towards the end of campaign one just because uh, it was... I loved it, but it was just, you know, three hours and change when, when they have all the thank yeah. yous and the sponsors. It's just so much. Um, I've watched some of their shorter one shots. Um, sometimes I've listened to them for a long road trip. Um, so that's kind of how I've stayed connected. I've played, I played a campaign on Roll20 with some random people one time. I think we did a few sessions and then the whole thing kind of fell apart. And then I started getting into buying the stuff because I'm like, I wanted my kids to check this stuff out you know it's a low cost low entry cost it gets us doing something as a family around the table 
and everyone can use their imagination to get into it. So I've DM'd uh, a handful of games for my kids. I've had my dad in a few times um, oh. as a character. Um, <laughs> my wife played, I think, one, once for us, and then uh, I think she couldn't stand how uh, uncontrollable the chaotic kids can be. <laughs> uh, Which I love. Your wife they, is they, like, I would play this game, but not with my own children. <laughs> right. I, I really wanted her in there as an extra authority figure to try and help keep things controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, to put she, things in perspective, you have four children? Yes. And and they all played chaotic evil characters. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, just, just, with, just and they're young. Life, they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like the oldest is a teenager, so like, oldest and this 16, was youngest, right? And this was a few years ago. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, two years ago. Uh, that's a lot of young people to corral into a game with <laughs> very and long they, rules. And it was real challenging to be, you know, that's where I kind of learned firsthand trial by fire how hard it is to be a DM and come up with stuff. And you know, I kind of hit it really hard, like you did, Joe, where I bought minis, you know. A, <laughs> book or two here start reading about stuff and mm-hmm. that's how it um, starts yeah. the, the map with the dry erase markers and and all that all that stuff and a lot dice sets for everybody everybody had their own dice sets went to mayhem mm-hmm. with, with the kids had them all pick out their own dice sets uh i haven't done that in a while just because i unfortunately i don't have the time for it and i, I wish i could be in more than one campaign mm-hmm. um but i'm trying to just you know Focus on one so I can, uh, I guess, it makes it a little easier to pay attention and keep up, keep on top of things. That does not compute with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? What? He's like, I oh, yeah, like a one a day. Is that so... what you mean? No. Right. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> and then eventually, I forget how it came up. So, Steve, you actually work with Anna and I. You are not an attorney, so congratulations. <laughs> um, but do you want to briefly just sort of say the type of work you do? Yeah. So, uh, I'm basically uh, an IT guy part of a three-man team for our for our offices and i've been in it uh professionally for uh 16 years now damn um, wow got into computers when i was like 12 13 i well actually a little younger than that i played games on them and right. then my my dad would uh you know when stuff would go wrong i'd have my dad come fix it and he eventually started showing me how to just fix it myself so he wouldn't have to he wouldn't have to do it um and then he would get new computers, upgrade them, and he would show me how to do it. And that's where uh, I kind of fell in love with them. And uh, that's what I do now. And, you know, you and I, like, our D&D interest, I think, if I remember correctly, it started where I just went into your office one day. And somewhere in our conversation, you mentioned that you were going to be painting, I think. Oh, yeah. And okay, I was that like, must painting. have been minis. Uh, yeah, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, painting what? And you said miniatures. And I, and I was like, wait a second, like. Like tabletop miniatures, like Dungeons and Dragons stuff, and um, and that's kind of and then how that's we, where it started, it right? Yeah. Exactly. And then I eventually dragooned you into playing as a character in yeah. my in my first campaign. Um, awesome. Well, Steve, we're thrilled, obviously, to have you here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so why don't we just jump right in? So the court will hear one case today: In Ray Monster Grapple. Do the target size limitations of the grapple attack apply to the grapple effect of a constrictor snake or giant constrictor snake's constrict attack? A.K.A. can a constrictor snake grapple a gargantuan creature? 
Right. So this question, <laughs> once again, thank you, Tyler, for always overthinking things with your character, because what you do is you bring out these <laughs> great questions <laughs> that I don't know the answer to. So Tyler, who plays a druid in my in, in the campaign I'm in with Anna, the other guy, right. Gaidra 2 is how I'll refer to it from now on, um, uh, asked me this because he plays a druid and um, we potentially have a combat coming up with a very large some might say huge or gargantuan creature. So uh, if he were to transform into a giant constrictor stake, could he maybe theoretically grapple that creature? So maybe as background, let's just talk about this ability. So a constrictor snake or a giant constrictor snake both have these constrict abilities. So their weapon attacks, but if they hit, it just says the target. So it does damage. And then it says the target is grappled, gives a DC for an escape. And it says until this grapple ends, the creature is restrained and the snake can't constrict another target. So here's the question. Grappling as a condition in D&D says that you can only grapple a creature that is up to a maximum of one size larger than. So the target of a, of a grapple attack can only be one size larger than you, the grappler. So if you're a medium sized humanoid, you could only attempt to grapple a large creature. This ability, however, just says the target is grappled with seemingly right. no condition to it. So that sort of invites the question, can you theoretically grapple anything? Um, just as Anna, would you like to, do you want, would you like to start? Sure. I'd be happy to start. Yeah. Um, okay. So we know that the grappling ability as applied to us as players says a humanoid, a humanoid can only go one size larger than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the difference is that the grappling ability requires you to make like a strength or a dexterity role, right? Like it's an ability role as opposed to a great constrictor snake, which is making an attack role. And this is important to me because it means that like to me, the, the monster essentially has like a proficiency in grappling, right? Like they, their entire attack basis is based on constricting. So it makes more reasonable sense that they have acquired the ability to constrict even larger sizes because they understand that ability so much better. For the giant constrictor snake, it's actually not not even a question because they're already a huge creature. So they can already go one size larger, which is gargantuan. And I think that's the biggest creature that there is in D&D, right? So the real question is just the constrictor snake. Can it grapple, grapple a, a gargantuan creature? And here I'm going to go with statutory construction again, because if you look at another creature like the choker, which I didn't know was a monster before I started to look up the answer for this question, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's it clearly states in the like monster stats that it can only... Um, like using its tentacles can only grapple a creature that is uh, large or smaller than a large creature. So if we know that the authors knew enough to write like size limitations for certain creatures that have the grapple function, then we, I'm, I will assume that they left it out of the constrictor snake description for reason and say that yes constrictor snakes can grapple gargantuan creatures 
that is where I fall. How about you, Steve? I guess I keep thinking back to... I'm trying to visualize how big one is. I guess I keep thinking how realistically one could grapple something larger when I think of when I'm, you know, looking at what the the D&D size chart is and it goes, you know, largest is uh, colossal if I'm looking at the right chart and then gargantuan and a huge, large, medium, so on and so forth. Uh, What size is the, are the constrictor stakes exactly? the constrictor snake exactly so that's a great question right so what uh if you're thinking just sort of in terms of so are you just asking what the 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 d like the dnd size it is yeah the the dnd size so the giant constrictor snake is a huge beast Mm -hmm. huge beast okay well in gargantuan i guess would be one size larger than it um now were you thinking anna that it could do it could constrict any size yeah i i think it can I think that if it couldn't, then they would have written it can only do gargantuan and below. Because they cause they put that language in for like the choker creature, where they say you can only do large and smaller. Are you thinking that they, that it can't, Steve? I'm I'm thinking like if it's something like if something's just so big, I guess it wouldn't be affected by it. Like it, it just wouldn't care. Like a snake, what wrapped around like a, the finger of a of a creature significantly larger than it. Um, you know, I guess I'm kind of like thinking the practical you know, aspect. Yeah, right, like a right. like a mosquito bite to me means nothing um, versus, you know, I don't know, in D&D world, maybe like a fairy or a pixie, you know, much smaller creature, um, which maybe that's why the original grapple rule applies, generally applies to just one size larger. Um, yeah, that makes I, sense to me, right? Because it's like. Like you're just putting your arms around something and your arms only have like a circumference of so much. Mm-hmm. But I guess um, I see from your point, if like the rule is left, if it's not specifically stated, <laughs> then maybe it can, it can do anything. But like, I guess in the term and like, if it can do anything, I don't even know what, what a colossal creature would be equivalent to. So I think colossal might be from an older version. Yeah, I, I think I gargantuan. Thought, maybe because I thought gargantuan was the largest. Yeah. yeah. So I think Gargantuan is the largest. So basically, like, think your ancient dragons, mm. krakens, uh, purple worms, tarasks, like all of the uh, the largest creatures in D and D. And I mean, theoretically, a DM could create something even larger than that, right? I mean, uh, Gargantuan is a twenty by twenty foot square, but hey, I'm the DM. I can make a forty by forty foot creature right. if, if I really wanted to. If it's the largest official size, and it could be, you know. A- as large as you want it to be, I guess. And mm-hmm. at what I guess in my head, I'm thinking at what point does it, is it ineffective? Would it be considered ineffective? Right. Like at what point is, does the practical aspect and that, and that's sort of like overcome the, the technicality of, yeah, it doesn't say that it's limited. Um, so I did look this up a little bit uh, because I had that same thought too. So if we're looking at just a constrictor snake and we'll forget the giant constrictor snake, Anna, because I think you're right. It, it A giant constrictor snake is 15 by 15 feet technically. Um, and so theoretically it could, even if it, it was just, right, right, it could go one up by the normal grapple rules. So that makes sense. Mm. But what about a regular constrictor snake or um, 
another creature that has this ability is a giant crab. Um, so what about, um, just the regular constrictor snake? And so I looked this up and there actually is a tweet on sage advice from Jeremy Crawford. Um, there was a sort of list of questions that touched on this and it says, can giant crabs really grapple any size creature because it doesn't have a restriction in the stat block. And Jeremy Crawford's, um, explanation was basically, uh, if a spell class feature, monster ability, or other effect lets you target a creature and doesn't specify size, any size will do. But then he refers to the grappling rules for monsters in the monster manual mm-hmm. on page 11. So going sort of outside the player's handbook, but still in the core content. Well, that box in the monster manual, it addresses some things about monster grappling, but it doesn't say anything about size limitations for monsters. No. Um, so, you know, I and I had the same issue, Steve, initially, and I was like, it doesn't make sense to me that both a giant constrictor snake and a constrictor snake could constrict an ancient dragon, especially mm-hmm. a creature. Because if you constrict a creature, if you grapple a creature, um, or sorry, if you attack with constrict and are successful, not only is the creature grappled, but it actually says the creature is restrained, restrained, which yeah. is fucking insane this is such a powerful ability because restrained not only means that your speed is zero but you have disadvantage on attacks and other attacks on you have advantage Mm -hmm. so that is a very powerful ability but as i started looking into this and reading it a little bit more it started to make sense so when you think about the size of a creature you're thinking more or at least how it's listed in in a stat block, right? So a constrictor snake is a large beast. It's a 10 foot by 10 foot square. That doesn't mean that it's just a 10 foot long snake or, or like a, t- a 10 foot right. long by 10 foot wide, like a chode of a snake, forgive the, <laughs> the language. Ah, but the snake chode. The snake chode. <laughs> um, but it means that, that it occupies, you know, a 20 square foot cube. Um, so, Which means that raveled, it can be like exactly. 30 feet. 40 or 40 feet, feet 50 feet, right. So so a giant constrictor snake is even longer than that. So we're talking about a snake whose ability to grapple something is like way larger than itself. And I think, you know, the, all it would take is the DM to come up with some crafty language to, to explain how that, or the player to explain how that works, right? Like, yeah, it's just a regular constrictor, con, constrictor snake (laughs) it's just a regular constrictor snake but it it like leaps into the air and like bites onto the dragon's arm and wraps itself around its wing and and the dragon is sort of like stuck trying to get it off this is exactly what i was thinking i'm like okay even if you're against a gargantuan creature and it's a say it's like a humanoid you don't have to constrict it around the waist you can constrict it around the legs which has a smaller circumference so Even if you're leaping two sizes ahead of you and it's just a regular constrictor snake, there are ways that it can grapple a gargantuan creature. Mm -hmm. And also not to mention that there are many creatures that are immune to grappling, especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about those those super powerful ancient beings. A lot of them are immune to a lot of these types of conditions and effects. And then they're probably uh, most of them are probably very large. I guess I keep thinking. Like a snake wrapping, the, the the opposing creature would have to be so big that the snake is either, I guess I'm thinking the snake is either wrapping itself, it's in comparison, it's wrapping itself around that creature's toe or its leg. <laughs> <laughs> if it's wrapping around, yeah, you know, because of size difference, to me, that would be, I would consider that ineffective. If it's wrapping, wrapping around its leg, I think you could, 
I think you could argue that or or like it's wing, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would uh, if I was a DM that created a special creature that was clearly much larger than gargantuan, I probably would say that that the I might rule at the table and like and this is one when I came in like I I admittedly I, I was going to rule like this is going to be a case-by-case thing for me because even though I agree with you Anna like yeah just by sort of following statutory construction norms it makes sense it wouldn't make sense if the creature was so big that mm-hmm. as Steve is saying it just wouldn't be affected even by like a 30 foot long creature and immediately I'm thinking of the titans from campaign one of of uh, uh critical role where it's mm-hmm. essentially like this huge <laughs> like Titan creature. It's like the earth moving essentially like this enormous, you know, enormous, enormous, enormous giant. Um, but I, so I think in that limited situation, you know, and of course, I guess I always say it comes down to DM discretion. On DM some discretion. Things. I was right. just about to make fun of you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I was like, I'll wait till he stops talking about how he's going to rule at the table. And then I'll poke fun at the fact that his fallback is always DM discretion. <laughs> Whether Joe's um, in a good mood or not. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I like what you did or if you just pissed me off that day. Um, but no, so it's so like in those limited circumstances, if it's if it's a really meaningful combat and this creature is you want this creature to feel larger than life for whatever purpose you have, yeah. Like maybe you'd rule, sorry, it doesn't work. Or you just make that creature immune to grappling. What way? Right. right. Uh so which I'm gonna just do with all my creatures from now. No, just kidding. <laughs> Every homebrewed creature immune to all things. It is immune to grappling. It's immune to all types of damage. It is immune mm-hmm. to every effect. You can't see it. And and you die instantly. And you're already dead. Campaign okay, over. All Next right, campaign. Start it up. First creature you fight, immune to all things, can't be grappling. Um, How about yeah, this, no, Joe? How about I bring uh, my own character into this, who is a bugbear, mm-hmm. who has lo- you know long arms. This is true. Um, and if I wanted to... Um, I guess I haven't, I've only done this, I think a few times at the most, but you know, if I wanted to grapple a creature and you know, the general rule is I can do one size larger, but if I'm doing someone smaller or my size, could I argue that? Well, my considering my creature is, has particularly long arms. Does that give me any kind of an advantage on grappling? Um, Would you entertain anything like that? I'm not going to tell you in this podcast (laughs) (laughs) for that exact reason. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, absolutely. Like there are certain circumstances where those types of things might make sense. Although I might say, well, you, yeah, you are a lot larger than that creature, but that creature is so that actually makes it hard for you because that creature is so little. It's like, say you're a bugbear trying to grapple a squirrel. Like even if you were to like grab it in your your arms. Right, exactly. Even if you tried to like grab it right. just in your hand, it could it could weasel out and and try and like run somewhere else. So, um, yeah. But I I'm always open to giving those types of advantages or disadvantages depending on like unique situations. But I feel like I would really enjoy watching a bugbear trying to grapple a squirrel. <laughs> like that would be a video I would watch on repeat. <laughs> well, next combat. Guess what you're fighting, guys? <laughs> Squirrels. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think uh, I think I agree, Anna. I uh, I I I think that both by the rules and with some you know just creative interpretation by the DM, it makes complete sense. Um, I just think that that's a really fucking powerful ability. Yeah, for a constrictor snake, and there's a reason why it's a monster and not 
normally something players can use unless you're a fucking druid. So once again, druids fucking. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I just Just heard. I just heard your rants earlier today about druids. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, imagine. Just let me. Just let me get this out here. Okay. This is my ideal character. Okay, level level five. Let's say two levels of moon druid, so that you get wild shape as a bonus action, um, and then you can you can uh, uh, change into creatures up to challenge rating one at second level, which is crazy. Um, then you take three levels of barbarian. Bar- no barbarian totem of the bear, resistance to all damage. Y- you uh, when you rage. So first turn in combat, you rage, you go to attack normally. Second round, bonus action, wild shape. You are now a creature with potentially a hit pool of like 50 points. And you have resistance to all damage and you can attack recklessly. That's fucking insane. So yeah, be a fucking constrictor snake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at all possible times <laughs> uh no i think the constrictor snake if i'm right has a swim yeah they have a swim speed so you wouldn't be able to do that but um still i think that that yeah think think ahead think about those interesting things so uh i should have done my research and- more and i thought i was a stretch asking you if i could be a bugbear in a campaign <laughs> i should have been a damn restrictor snake <laughs> Now we know, okay? So the next campaign, we If Joe, you wanted to be a snake I'm going to do campaign, that exact thing. <laughs> if you wanted to be, though, I would make you... Every time you talked, you had to go, snake, snake, oh, it's a snake. Worth it. Okay. Rem- I, All right. I do remember that. I understood right. that reference. <laughs> if you made me do that, I would I would be offended, actually. I'd be like, just because I'm Indian, you're going to make me do a snake dance. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Deal with it. Deal with it, Constrictor Snake. <laughs> well, it sounds like Joe and I are in agreement. What about you, Steve? Uh, I, I, uh, I get your side. So uh, I, I hear you. I would, I would certainly entertain that. I'm in agreement. I'll, I'll say I'm in agreement. <laughs> we'll be a, a reluctant concurrence over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a full court, a unanimous opinion. Case is closed. What a fun issue. I love when my players unwittingly, unknowingly give me questions to consider on this podcast and then ruminate over. Um, So thank you, Tyler. Tyler. Come up with more (laughs) type A questions (laughs) that are really particular and we'll appreciate you forever. Exactly. Well, now it's time for... I need to disrobe. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Just throw out those robes. Take Save them, them for next episode, actually, because we can't afford robes every episode. Oh, crap. Okay. And uh, just chillax, grab a beer or another beverage. Let's chit chat. It's our chit chat corner. We change corner. the name of this every single <laughs> every fucking time. Every single time. time. <laughs> um. So I think both of these discussion topics came to us from Steve, if yeah. I am remembering correctly. And they're both fantastic. and I'm really excited to discuss them. So let's jump right in. The first one is talking about the pros and cons of the uh, critical hit rules as written and what alternative homebrew options there are for handling critical hits. Yeah. So Steve, since you brought us this question, why don't we start off with you and why why did this come up as a as a question that you wanted to discuss and and what are your thoughts? 
Sure. So uh, I guess I'll start by reading what the the you know the official critical hit rule, which is uh, when you score a critical hit, you roll you get to roll extra dice for the attacks damage against the target. Roll all the attacks damage the attacks damage dice twice. Add them together. Add any modifiers, of course. And then the example gives if you score a critical hit with a dagger, roll two d4 for the damage rather than one d4. Well, I think I came across this originally when I was DMing for my kids, and one of them, you know, they got a crit, and, you know, everyone loses their damn minds when we get a, you know, everyone, you just have to lose your mind when you get a natural 20. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they they roll, and they roll, like, two ones or two twos, <laughs> and then you suddenly, like, feel the excitement sucked out of the room um, because mathematically the chance chances of that happening, you know, exist. Um you have so in the, like the example I gave, um, like that you can if your attack dice is one d four, well you roll two one d four two ones, you do two damage, which kind of stinks because if all your other attacks you could have rolled a four and right. then you just you're doing more damage than you would have on a critical, so mm-hmm. it you know like I said it sucks the fun and the excitement out of the room, so. What I ended up doing um, with us, which I, I think is uh, fairly common, is uh, you're already going to roll the max damage for your dice. So you're guaranteed to do four damage, which actually, even if on your next dice you do a one, you're doing five damage. So you're already doing more damage than you would off a normal roll. So you're already feeling better about it. No matter what you roll, you're going to do more. So, you know, 1d4, you're already doing four damage. You roll that, so it's four plus that modifiers so it feels more impactful more significant um more heroic um of course the downside to rules is this is you know and i had to tell my kids is this is a global rule so it applies to monsters as well if they if they roll uh you know a critical they're going to do the same thing to you i have to apply the rules to them as well um so you know it, it, it can be real awesome in your favor or it can really it can really suck if the enemies roll like right. that but i still think it's worth it because again it's you know it should like, be special it should feel special it should be special yeah. you know in most video games that incorporate something like this you do like double damage or right. you know one and a half times damage something like that so you know you just feel awesome when when it actually happens and you know that's why i, I i'm in total disagreement with the <laughs> the rules is written about critical hits because it just it's just not as fun when you're when you have the potential, which I would say, you know, like on a D four, um, I think the math comes out to what the same or less damage is about thirty seven percent. So, mm-hmm. so that's my my interpretation of it and how I've um, used a different rule set for for critical hits. Nice. Yeah, just as Anna, I'm curious. Well, I'm curious, Anna. What are your thoughts as a player? Well, I know that you and I think Clint have the same homebrew, uh, slightly different, perhaps. They're slightly different, yeah. But they are slightly different. Um, I know that well, I am. I I'm in like preparation to be a DM for the first time. Yeah, I'm going to be using the same critical hit rule as uh, Steve actually. So the baseline is that you get max damage, uh, and then you roll just like one set of dice, and then whatever that is, just added to the max damage. So it's extra special. Um, I am my first one anyway, is just going to be like a one arc. So maybe two or three sessions. So to keep it, uh, 
to I really want the people that are going to be in my campaign to like enjoy playing because it's going to be a lot of new players actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to have my monsters do that if they roll uh, a <laughs> oh. 20 just because I want them to be like having a really good time. But <laughs> okay, at the end of the day, um, we have said this multiple times on this show, and I stand by this that like the roll is the roll, man. Like what the dice read. That's what they read. So I, I get why the people that wrote the rules were like, hey, man, if you roll two ones, uh, too freaking bad. Like, that's just what you're stuck with. Um, but I also appreciate that all of my DMs have at least a little bit of a bonus and that mm-hmm. do, they don't stick you with uh, less than you would have done, um, at least as a, at a max with your regular dice. So right. that's yeah. where I land. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone here has experienced at least in some part the, oh, I rolled, I got a crit. Oh, I rolled two ones or two twos. <laughs> so we all like, yeah, we've all been there and it sucks. Um, and, and it just doesn't make sense. If, if a crit is supposed to be like double, like super impactful and you do less damage than you could have on a normal hit, mm-hmm. then it just seems kind of stupid. Uh, so I actually use a slightly modified version um, in my games, which I actually instituted, Steve, I think once you told me about this, I think this was yeah, actually I remember from bringing you. It up early and I mean, I think I made the same argument, although I have to keep asking every time I get a critical, like, how do we do it again? Well, and that's <laughs> fair because I did change it a little bit, but I, I finalized the rules in our, in that little supplement to the, the of, of homebrew rules that I put together, which I think is a great idea for DMs. Um, if you're going to do homebrew brew stuff, put a little supplement together so that your players write it know. Down. Yeah. Write it down. Um, great for everyone. So mine is all pretty similar. However, So you roll double dice like you normally would. However, if when those dice are added together, the damage is less than the maximum you could have done on a normal hit. So in the case of a 1d4, you roll 2d4 and let's say you roll a 1 and a 2 and that just equals 3, then you just take the maximum damage of one dice. So you just take 4 and then add your modifier. You don't mm-hmm. add the roll on top. And the reason I did that is because, so Anna, like you're saying, you know, in your campaign, there's going to be new players. You don't want to penalize them with this rule. So the monsters aren't going to do this when they hit. Um, mm-hmm. In my campaigns, that's not that's not the case. <laughs> the monsters crit the same way you do. And uh, so what I found was that because as the DM, I was rolling so much more than the player on average. Um, I was critting more and, and I, my monsters are usually really powerful because if I don't make them powerful, they're not going to last like one or two rounds as <laughs> I've already learned. Um, so uh, what I found was that by giving them an automatic 50% and then increasing it by another dice, it ended up pushing the, the, the average damage I did on a crit closer to like 75% or I guess 150% if you're thinking about it from original dice um, level. Whereas with my modified version, you're more likely to get more of a range from 50 to 75 to 100% or from 100 to 200% as opposed to like 150 to 200%, which tends to be what happens. So yeah, pretty similar rule. I just think it, it ends up being a little fairer once the monsters use it. And that's primarily why I right. use that. How is Clint's different 
or does he Clint does he it, the same thing? Well, to be fair, and, and this is on you, Clint, he has changed the rules a few times. <laughs> Because originally, uh, I remember originally. Well, I'm I'm not going to air his dirty laundry on my podcast. I will I will <laughs> I will spare him that. But I will say that, and you know, like, and that and that's fine. Like, you know, like I said, my change in my campaign too. But that's why I wrote it down because I just felt I needed to do it. But he does it that way, and the way you plan to do it is that you just you take the maximum damage. So so you basically roll the dice and add it to what the maximum would be on those mm-hmm. same dice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Always guaranteed maximum damage. Yeah. Plus plus at least one. Yeah. So whereas mine's basically always guaranteed maximum damage, not plus one. I mean, what is the so, most what is the most common thing that we all everyone loves, you know, about D D that we all share is when that natural twenty gets rolled, mm-hmm. everyone loses <laughs> their damn minds, whether yep. it's an ability check or in a battle that you're about to lose and someone nails it. I mean that's just Actually, like the most common thing that makes every, gets everyone's excitement up, right? I do want to challenge that a little bit because sometimes I get really mad that I rolled a natural 20 because I'll like be in battle and I'll You're like, why did I waste this? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'll yeah. be rolling ones and twos and fours. And then, <laughs> and then after combat, the DM will be like, all right, yeah, make, um, uh, yeah, make an animal handling check as you see that squirrel and you want to befriend it. Natural 20. Great. I have a squirrel companion. So much that did for me. Too bad I couldn't I, use that one. <laughs> I am the exact same way. I'm like, oh, wow. I roll like shit in combat. And then I see an herb and he's like, make a medicine check. And I'm like, great. Natural 20. I know every fucking thing about this herb now. <laughs> or you get a natural 20 on initiative check where it, it doesn't mean oh, anything. Except that's literally that gonna, never happened to me. Okay. Except you're going to go I first. Love- and yeah, now you're I love set the tone of the first. fight. <laughs> and see, but I love that as a player. I fucking love it. Uh, so sometimes I'm like, yeah. uh, I kind of want to see what everyone else wants to do here. So I'm fine not being first. I, I'm the same way, actually. <laughs> Plus, you're like, oh, there goes my, you know, there goes a wasted natural twenty. Good roll. Um, yeah. Where I could have um, used it earlier or later. Yeah. Well, great question, Steve. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's an important thing for DMs to consider. And uh, yeah, I highly encourage people to use homebrew rules for that. So we will move on to our second discussion topic today, which is also brought to us by Steve. And Joe's excited. I'm I am excited so, too to discuss this. I am so <laughs> curious as to why. I, I really want to know why why Steve wanted to discuss this. But, um. but the uh, discussion topic is romance mm-hmm. in game. What are your thoughts? What are the pros? What are the cons? Ooh. Well, Steve, start us off. Well, I first I want to put it out there that there, I don't have any. My my character has no particular romance interests at this time. Um, I was just sure. trying to think of something that was was a good discussion topic, and uh, you know, and I think why it is is because you know uh, a lot of stories. They're gonna they're gonna be some romance sprinkled throughout there, at some point. So why not why not these this storyline? Why not these plot lines where we're all pretending to be characters and we're interacting with a lot of NPCs and um, with a variety of backgrounds and characteristics, you know? And so how do we handle that as players? And how do how do DMs handle that? Is there a cutoff as far as how far things can go? Like, you know, something something happens, something develops, and or if it's like a one night stand type of thing, mm-hmm. and 
you know, and we will say, Steve, you you preface this with saying we're assuming that X rated content is not that's not happening <laughs> right. at the table. If that's how you want to play your games, great. That sounds fun. Go ahead and right. play. And I, but we're not discussing that here. Right. <laughs> so and I talking- included that in my original email that let's assume things are kind of PG, PG thirteen or right. below. Right. Um, and uh, I think the reason for that is like when if like let's say something happens and you do, and I think Matt Mercer has done this before, where Things kind of just fade to black exactly. and you you assume a good night happened or the DM will say <laughs> a very good night happened. And that's that's it. Like it's implied that things happened. There you go. And then you move on because, you know, I think everyone at the table doesn't really want to. Surely no one wants to hear details about that because it's just awkward. But. Hey, no, you never know. Get. Don't kink shame, Steve. Some people <laughs> right? are into that. If you're at a really horny table and you guys are all into that and you're having an orgy. You do you. Yeah. You, you, sorry, Steve's family's probably going to listen to this, but I, I didn't pick this topic, but I'm going to make it inappropriate. Go have your D&D orgy. Why not? Literally. Right. <laughs> Can't wait for the question. Dad, what's I'm not a po- not not opposed to such a thing like if it if it makes sense um because you know uh just like we're all humans in real life and here in D D, they're creatures just like we are whether humans or other creatures and they mate and they have interests in other creatures some to um siphon information out of or have a get a favor out of and some just because you know they want that one night stand and then they go brag to their other party members about it or something. Uh, I don't Umbra. Know. <laughs> yeah. My, my tabaxi is, uh, she's a horny kitty. So, mm-hmm. uh, Hey, it's all in her character development. That is how she's oh, written. Yeah. And yeah, she's going to try and hook up with everyone. So, and I think that's, I think that's totally fine. If you have, if that's part of your character line, you know, as long as it's not like literally like every damn character you encounter, she jumps them, you know, well. type of thing. If it's, I mean, it's up for debate. And maybe you're, maybe you're doing it. But here's the important. It's, it's really part of like the way that Joe plays Umbra. It's like the it's like a personality sure. quirk right. of hers. Yeah. So it, it's not it's not obnoxious, and she's not doing it like it's not a constant right. flirtation or anything. But it's just like this funny thing. That's part of Umbra. That's yeah. like a great it's, part of her character. Well, and it, I mean, really, Umbra is sort of like this incredibly feminist like openly openly sexual no shame no whatever like she does what she wants and no one's going to tell her differently Mm -hmm. so that's why i play her that way because if she's attracted to someone she doesn't fucking care who knows it she's going to get that d or that p or whatever in between or outside (laughs) of she doesn't care she's pansexual she loves it all and that's her (laughs) like i said um all of my characters and body parts, <laughs> parts of me in some way. <laughs> and I'm still famously single. Ding! <laughs> so what about, um, to add on top of this, what about spells that force romance? Like, how would you handle that as a DM? Whether it's a, pl- a player on player, um, within limits, of course, or a player on an NPC or an NPC on a player. Yeah. How would you handle spells? that for such a thing yikes well okay let's let's maybe talk about the first part and did you have anything you wanted to add to that yeah like like, what are your thoughts on i mean you've never had rome you've had familial love 
um, which you did role played wonderfully um, when you saw your sister for the first time in game. But what about like romantic love? So, you know, when we uh, when we had like our session love. zero <laughs> before. I'm sorry. What was that, Steve? I thought you said familiar love, like the familiars and <laughs> me and my familiar like, really got it. Bound so come like... come here, little fat kitty. Bound <laughs> <laughs> wow wow. Sorry. Uh, for a second, I also thought you said familiar. <laughs> familial. Like, oh, means familial. <laughs> familial. Anywho's, um, before I started playing in your campaign, Joe, you actually had uh, brought up romance. Mm-hmm. And what you told me was that we can have that, um, but it's like a conversation that you have to have um, yeah. essentially with the group. And if it's with a particular other PC, then like that person has to be on board. <laughs> with what's going on. Um, and I, I think that it has to be more than just like the two PCs speaking in the wings. I think it has to like everybody at the table kind of has to be on board. If two PCs are about to have romance amongst themselves, you know what mm. I mean? Like, cause I think it changes the dynamic of the group. If two PCs are romantically involved mm. with one another, it changes the dynamic of the group. Cause then you're not just adventurers. You're like, Three adventurers and a couple set out. <laughs> well, to... but, so, but those things, I mean, like, so do you think the whole group should be informed and agree, I guess, formally? Or do you think it, like, at the very least, they should be informed? Like, Ooh. I don't think everybody needs to be on board with it, maybe, but at the very least, they need to be informed that this is what it's going to look like. Like, explicitly because... or informed by, like, one of the characters, like, okay, so the two PCs talk to each other outside the group, they agree, and then in-game, one character hits on another, and that signals everyone, this person's attracted. No, I mean outside of the game. Oh, like, hey, we're going to be doing, like, a romantic thread to this narrative. Hmm. Um, because if somebody has a strong objection to that and like, they don't want to change the entire dynamic of how they've been playing in this campaign, I think they should have the, the pedestal to like voice their opinion about that. And I think if they make solid points against it, though, those two people that are playing the PCs that want to be romantically involved should, should pay attention. Like, do they really want to change this game so much? I think PC but with an NPC is a different thing. Sure. But couldn't, I guess my question, couldn't all of that happen in game? In right? game? Because, and I only say that just because ro- romance is certainly not the only thing that could break up an adventuring party, right? So like decisions about how to go about, um, you know, tackling certain issues. I mean, we came up with this in our Icewind Dale where Inky was like so hesitant to kill one of these one of the enemies we came across and everyone else was like, yeah, just chop his fucking head off. And that was like, for him, that was like, whoa, like like a big moment. I mean, like there are things like that that can break up adventuring parties all the time. Um, I mean, Steve is part of a group where one of our members, Clint's character, is like very at odds with the rest of the group and even separated from the group for a little while. Um, not necessarily about those specific things, but um, uh, I, mean, I mean, I think I guess what I'm saying is I think if if a player were to voice that to me, so if you as your I mean, and you're telling me now, I guess. But if you come to me and say, hey, like, just so you know, like, I think that we should just at least be made aware about things like this going on. Then, like, that's something that I would bring to the rest of my players. But I don't necessarily have that requirement. Um, The only thing I do require is that the PCs talk to each other because I do not want someone hating on someone without them. Without their, like, consent, right? Yeah, like, the, the, the thing for me is that, like, I think it would be an like an excellent addition to any of the campaigns I'm in to see that. Um, 
But there could be others that are like, listen, I'm in here for like the adventure. I'm in here Mm -hmm. for the combat. And I'm not here to play like some romance novel between two people. So I want to know like as, as me, not as my player, like if my character has a problem with the romance, that would be amazing to play out. Like, Oh, I don't like that. These two people are together. Mm -hmm. Let's up the drama. That's that is, I'm all about that. But like, if the person that's playing the character, if the actual person has, is like uncomfortable with that or doesn't want to be in a campaign that has that, I think they should be able to voice their opinion sure. before things get started. And Though, you so know, that's things, one of the, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I would tell people before we even start playing is, I mean, it's a, hopefully I made it clear, like you said, uh, you know, early on, like romance can be something that happens in my games. So everyone is aware that that's a possibility. Um, uh, So I I think that should be discussed even before you start the campaign. Um, Yeah. I think even that much is like sufficient, like letting your players know, Hey, this is a campaign where I'm going to allow them to have romance among PCs if they talk about it and want to do that. So if that's not the kind of campaign you want to play in, like now, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Hmm. But, but yeah, players and NPCs in, in romance is like a whole different thing. And I love that. Like I want to see more of that. (laughs) I feel like Iso needs to fall in love with somebody. So maybe she will. You what, could what were you saying? Her to like a prince. It's a little okay. less awkward, of course, because then it's, you know, it's up the DM controls. Right. Really how the, the flow of that, that romance. And it's interesting because I think we, you know, obviously we're all sort of a bit tainted by, by relationships in other games we've seen most notably again, critical role. And the, the most famous romance to me is Vax and Keyleth. Um, just because they, I mean, they're friends in real life. They became better friends and best right. friends playing this game. Marisha is Matt's husband, role playing <laughs> love with. Uh, uh, oh, she's uh, the husband, Liam. and Matt's the wife. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, you said, you said Marisha's Matt's husband. husband. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Sorry, Marisha is Matt's wife. Um, Matt is the husband, and he is sitting there as the DM, watching two of his best friend and his wife basically form a relationship. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I think it just, it, I mean, I could do a whole episode on this, quite frankly, <laughs> it, it just requires, you know, it, it's what's the, what's the comfort level and maturity level of your players. Right. Yeah. I would totally be comfortable with that, but I understand that not everyone is, you, you don't know this, Anna, but early on in our yawning portal campaign, I told Phil, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, by the way, Umber totally digs Yormgar. What's his deal. And Phil was like, mm, I don't want to go that route. I'm kind of, I just want to do sort of like you said, like, you know, I just want to focus more on the adventure. And I'm like, yeah, get it. Totally. 100%. Cool. Don't yeah. worry about it. Um, but had he said yes, I'm like, that would be a really fun, like thing to see sort of, you know, um, uh, bubble up in game. But again, I just think it comes down to like the maturity of your players. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, NPC Roman. Great. 100%. It's, it's wonderful all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know if I should be upset that Umbra's never hit on Jin. Like Because you told me, I thought this is what you were going to bring up. When when I told you that Umbra, so I mentioned it to you. I'm like, Umbra's probably going to try and hit on Jin. And you were like, Jin wouldn't know what to do with that. And I was like, oh. Yeah, wouldn't Anna. that be fun to play out? <laughs> oh, I thought that was you signaling to me. I don't want you to hit on Jin. Hell no. That's me signaling to you. Definitely try to hit on Jin. Okay. Jin gets red in the face and super uncomfortable. Is like, I don't know what to do. All right. Well, you're going to see some cat on lizard sex coming up. Yes. <laughs> 
teach me, teach me your secular ways. So tell me about Jin. Is Jin your, you have a paladin character and a bard, right? Yeah, so Iso is my paladin character, but Jin is mm-hmm. my dragonborn bard, and yeah. he's amazing. Yeah, he's great. Um, he has a set of bagpipes that he. <laughs> yeah, he's like semi Scottish. He's, ama- he's dressed like a Scotsman, speaks with an Irish accent. <laughs> he's just fuck everything. And, and how, he has how, a, does that, how does that Irish accent go? <laughs> yeah, how, how does it go, Anna? <laughs> how does it go? Uh, how does it go? Mm-hmm. I've got me mandolin. There and I'll pay, play you a lovely tune. That's on Scottish. Mandolin. That's Scottish. That's not Irish. No, that's Irish. I think it's Scottish enough. I think an Indian Canadian knows what Irish is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the authority. You didn't hear her French Irish accent, accent earlier, Steve. <laughs> Just don't. Let's not even. Um, so okay. So so going to your question about now, this sort of takes things to a whole new level. Forced romance. Ugh. To me, that mm-hmm. gets into territory that's like. I would need to have a discussion with a player individually before I did that as a DM in game. Now, if they wanted to sure. do it to an NPC, I might Let's stop. Let's assume it's an NPC. Yeah, like, yeah. I might stop at the table and just be like, okay, is everyone, you know, like if it, if it, because you get into sort of like, is this rape territory, right? Like, like is there consent? That's like a trigger, right? Like Exactly. For, and, yeah. and, and, and even if the, the characters aren't having sex, I mean, there's like a, there's, there's definitely a sort of a very uncomfortable dynamic but to be fair like every story that's ever utilized the love potion isn't that sort of what happens i yeah. mean that happens in harry potter right isn't that sort mm-hmm. of exactly what what that is and that's always made me a little uncomfortable even though i wish i could do it on certain people <laughs> well uh but um uh uh, you know, I, I think that that's a I think it's something that you should probably as a DM, if you plan to do that, you definitely need to take precautions. But I mean, thinking about this in sort of a, a once removed layer, think about Yasha's journey in campaign two of Critical Role. Um, spoilers. Uh, sorry, Anna, because you haven't gotten to this point yet. But there's a point at which Yasha, who. Uh, Ashley Johnson's an actor and had to go to New York to film a show. She couldn't be on the show for an extended period of time. So her character became under the control of the big bad, basically. And her character like went off for months and was with under the control of the big bad. And we don't know what happened. Um, Now there was no romance implied there, but there could have been. And at the very least, her character's doing things that she doesn't want her to do. Definitely killing right. people left and right. Um, I mean, one could even argue, like, it doesn't even need to be romance. Like, that enough is kind of, like, fucked up. But that's kind of, like, the game. But I think when it comes to romance and, like, sexual content especially, you're right. Like, that's, to me, that's a that's a line that I wouldn't cross unless I explicitly talked to the players about it and said, is everyone comfortable with this? Here's where, here's the limits of where it's going to go. It won't go here. And if anyone objected to it, I wouldn't do it. That's, that, that's how I would just rule as a DM. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So, <laughs> well, yeah, all right. Very good. <laughs> well, we'll, see, we'll right. see if we get, we'll see if we get there in Gaidra. <laughs> I mean, then, I think, I think I, there's no, definitely, there's... yeah, there's definitely some potential for some, uh, for some romance bubbling in Gaidra. I think it will depend a lot on things to come. That was poor use of language. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think it will depend a lot on, 
on future events and how certain <laughs> characters may or may not change um, after those events. But uh, I would love, I would, I would be honored to have two of my PCs have their characters fall in love. And I think that that would Aww. be amazing to handle that uh, because that would, that's like a little fragile baby you don't want to fuck with. So <laughs> Oh, and then they could have a little fragile baby, and then there would be a baby and five adventurers. That sounds great. Kill the baby. (laughs) Sacrificial baby blood. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, and on that note, (laughs) thanks, Steve. What what abilities or enhancements does sacrificial baby blood give you exactly? Oh, I mean, it's great. We'll talk about it in game. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So anyway, that's where we are. That's where we are. Steve. Again, my character has no, I'll say my character has no I'm not gonna interest kill, at this time. I'm not going to kill my character's babies. Don't worry. Thank I God. may kidnap them because that is an enticing kidnapping for a plot line. And then suddenly you have yeah. the plot of the labyrinth where Jareth comes in, played by David Bowie, steals your baby, puts it in a labyrinth. And I am all for role playing that storyline. You better believe. So... <laughs> Thank you, Steve, for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show, putting up with Joe's absolute insanity. uh, Yeah. And And I hope that your kids grow up quickly so you can have more time to play in more campaigns. Mm -hmm. Yes, grow up, get out of the house. (laughs) Or just wait, don't wait to grow up. Just (laughs) kick them out. Bye, guys. Pay for their tuition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, everyone. And. you know where See to you find next us. Time. Yeah. Bye. I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Right. Okay, okay. Let's yeah. start this. I'm cutting all of this. Yeah. Okay. Including the Rumspringer. No, just kidding. I would never. I would never. I would never cut your Rumspringer. <laughs>